And you may be forgiven that I'm a week early, for thinking that I'm a week early. This comes immediately after the triumphant entry. Luke 19, from 37. When he came near to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Amen. Our next uh, Bible reading is Psalm 122. And Frank is going to read that for us today. Oh, sorry, not you. Psalm 122, a song of ascents of David. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord, according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Amen. Thank you, Frank. Lord, as we look at this, these passages now, open our hearts to receive your message. Amen. So what do you get when an interior designer, a comedian, a businessman, an actress, a social media influencer, and an international cricketer go trekking? Let me rephrase that. <laughs> yes. Uh, what do you get when a pagan, a Muslim, an agnostic, a Jew, a Christian, and a Sikh walk the traditional route of St. Columba from Ireland to Scotland? The answer is a BBC fly-on-the-wall documentary. Uh, the BBC have, I think, produced four programs called Pilgrimage, and they follow eclectic groups of people, such as I have just recounted, on different of the, different of the traditional pilgrimage routes that are, exist around the world. Now, full disclosure, I've only watched the first episode of this one. 
But what is interesting is how it's described. It is introduced as a journey of self-discovery. And the answers that the participants give for taking part are varied. I'm curious. I want to find out what they, the people of faith, have got that I haven't. I'm wondering if I've shortchanged myself. I want to learn about me. I want to understand what being Jewish means to me. I hope this elevates me to a higher level of being myself. What I haven't heard so far, and in fairness, I've only seen the first episode, and the BBC will, of course, edit it how they want. But what I haven't heard is anybody saying, I want to give thanks, and I want to draw closer to God. I don't want to sound judgmental. I'm not sure I would want to commit to 15 days trekking through Ireland and Scotland where it's green for a reason with a group of people that I didn't know who they were until I turned up with a backpack. But it shows how the distortion of what it means to be in pilgrimage can take hold. Something that is intended as a spiritual practice for drawing people closer into relationship with God has been twisted into something so different. The songs of a sense are biblical pilgrimage. This collection of 15 psalms, starting with Psalm 120, is about a journey leading to God, not self-discovery. It's a journey to God, and I don't believe that any particular place or object has a particular inherent spiritual meaning. People may speak of their pilgrimage to spring harvest each year, but I don't think Butlins has any intrinsic spiritual value over and above anywhere else. And for those of you who don't know, Spring Harvest is an annual Christian conference that is held in Butlins. Just because the term pilgrimage can be abused, we should not allow its true meaning to be destroyed when observed biblically. These psalms, the 15 starting with 120, are called the Songs of Ascents, literally going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is on a hill, so geographically you would always be going up there. Clearly, we don't have time to look at all 15 today, and I would urge you to read them at home. They cover, just as the Psalms do, they cover a wide variety of themes. You will see songs of thanksgiving, lament. There are prayers for protection, thanksgiving for mercy, prayers of trust. We had a prayer of trust at the beginning. There are prayers calling on God for redemption, songs celebrating the unity of God's, bless, God's people and asking for God's blessing on the home. Their destination is Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is often their subject. If you read through them, you will, hear, you will see frequent messages of Zion and Jerusalem. 
They are songs of ascents, of going up to Jerusalem. It could be that they were recited one on each step of the 15 steps between the court of women and the court of the Israelites in the temple priest. With the priests singing the Psalms one on each step as a metaphorical journey. But more likely, they were recited by the pilgrims going to Jerusalem for the great festivals. They are recited at the Feast of Tabernacles traditionally. And the Feast of Tabernacles celebrates that other journey. It celebrates God's care for the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness. That journey which is so part of the Israelite nationality, their national identity. We will look more in more detail at Psalm 122, which Frank read to us, but I just want to mention the first one, Psalm 120. It is a personal lament, a prayer for deliverance from somebody who is in deep distress. He is surrounded by slanderous and deceitful lips. He mentions two place names in verse 5, if you have your Bible there. In verse 5, he mentions Meshach and Kedar. Both of these places are a long way from Jerusalem. You can see why this was chosen as the first of the songs of ascents. He's a long way from the shalom peace longed for in Jerusalem. Geographically, a long way, and in his heart, he is in distress. But each journey starts with a single step. And this single step is of turning to God to cry out in your pain. The psalmist admits their need, their need to journey to God. That is the first step of true pilgrimage. And then briefly, the next one is Psalm 121, a psalm for, for assurance of God's protection of recognizing that our help comes from God, the one who neither slumbers nor sleeps. And we arrive at Psalm 22. The pilgrim psalmist celebrates arriving in Jerusalem. This psalm is structured in three three parts. Verses 1 and 2, arriving in the city. Verses 3 to 5, the blessing of the city. And verses 6 to 9, prayer for the city. And it opens and closes with reference to the house of the Lord in verses 1 and 9. And its middle verse speaks of the house of David. This book ending with the reference to the house of the Lord and the house of David in the middle points us to the main emphasis, the house of the Lord. In verses 1 and 2, the psalmist... is rejoicing at the prospect of going to the house of the Lord. And there is joy of arrival in verse 2. There's an I'm here moment. I'm here. There's recognition that being within the city gates is special. No matter how many times that psalmist may have been there before. It is unlikely that this was the first time that this was a spontaneous, oh, let's go to Jerusalem because an annual uh, pilgrimage to the festivals was instituted by God It was normal, normal to go to the house of the Lord to celebrate. It was not obligatory. Sorry, it was almost obligatory. 
It was commanded by God to his people. And the psalmist has that long-awaited expression of joy. I'm here. I'm here. I'm inside the city walls. And we cannot underestimate the significance of Jerusalem and the temple to the Jews. It was central to the nation's life. There was something going on all year round. It wasn't just the major festivals. And as uh, Klaus Westermann puts it, the families and individuals, the Israelites, live by the blessing which is experienced in the temple and flows out from the temple. This was a year-round expression of joy. This place was wrapped up in their identity as God's chosen people. It was the place where God's glory had been revealed and where they experienced it. And you only have to read Ezra and Nehemiah to understand the impact, the devastation of uh, the ruins of Jerusalem had on the people. And imagine the thrill after the exile, after they had been rebuilt, when they could go back to the temple and after years of exile, they could worship God again. It was the value that the Israelite people placed on the temple that made the Jewish leaders so angry with Jesus when he said he would tear the temple down in three days and rebuild it. As Christians, we don't have our identity built up in one place. We may be here together as the congregation at Wilton Baptist Church, but that is not our identity. Our identity is in Christ. And in that, we are part of his church, the body of believers. But do we have the same anticipation and joy at being part of that body? Did we wake up this morning thinking, yay, it's Sunday, I can go to church. I, th- I woke up yesterday and thought it was Sunday, if I'm brutally honest. <laughs> I was really confused that it was so light, because I'm thinking, oh, the clocks have changed. It shouldn't be this light at this time of day. And it, yeah. But we should have that same joy at being part of God's family. We should encourage each other. We should rejoice together and worship, truly worship together. And I appreciate I am preaching to the converted that you know the joy of being together. But this is something that we should really value. There are so many people that we've mentioned already today who are unable to gather. There are people who are prevented from gathering because of legal restrictions, cultural restrictions, family responsibilities, work responsibilities, ill health, old age. It is a great privilege to be able to gather and let us never take that for granted and let us continue to pray for those who cannot. And the second section, verses three to five, the psalmist celebrates this city, this special city that God chose as his dwelling place, the place for his temple to be brought, built. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. This is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stands the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Now he calls it a city closely compacted or bound together. This is a reference to it being a walled city, not that they lived in terraced houses. The walls are vital for defense and protection. 
And you can see why Nehemiah prioritized their reconstruction. And he goes so far as to say that the ruined state of the walls is a source of shame and disgrace for the nation. That's how important they were. The psalmist is celebrating that the walls are rebuilt. They're connected. The city is strong and secure for its inhabitants. It is a place of safety. And church should be a place of safety. It should be where we can be authentically ourselves and where we help carry each other's burdens. In verse 4, he talks about all the tribes going up to praise and to fulfill their covenant relationship responsibilities to give thanks according to his decrees. This is the gathering place for worship, people coming together. Here was harmony and unity, different tribes coming together in praise and thanksgiving of God. They weren't just doing the same thing standing side by side, but there was a deep connectedness in their focus and worship. As members, we are in covenant relationship together. There is a deep connectedness to being a member. In verse 5, he celebrates that Jerusalem is the place of judgment. Here is David's house where he set up his throne and administered justice to the people. Now, in our world today, we often have very negative connotations around the word judgment. But in Old Testament times, judgment was a good thing. It still is a good thing. Because judgment has to do with justice. That God would judge in a righteous and holy way meant that injustice would be corrected. Judgment is about putting things right. And with all those tribes gathering, any outstanding injustice would mar the harmony that the psalmist celebrates in verse 4. We must remember that God is the righteous judge and we are not. And just as Jerusalem is celebrated for having walls of protection, as church we need the protection of God around us. We do live in hostile times and we should find church, being among the body of believers, a place of security and of harmony that the psalmist describes here. And we should trust and let God do the judging. And in the final section, verses 6 to 9, there is the prayer for the city. The psalmist turns and looks forward and he asks for its ongoing blessing. And he even speaks directly to the city. As I've said, the life and the nation of the Israelites was so bound up in the city of Jerusalem and that as their identity and focus. And so to pray for the peace of Jerusalem was to pray for the ongoing peace of the people. In this verse, these verses, the psalmist is looking for peace. Peace for the people who love the city. Peace for relatives and companions on the journey together. 
Now, the peace being spoken here isn't the absence of war, although the Israelites faced plenty of hostility. But it was that deep well-being, the shalom peace, shalom being that word that is so difficult to translate, but a deep sense of well-being, of blessing and tranquility, of being loved and accepted by God. He longs for the goodness and the prosperity on and in the city. And when he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, he's actually being quite blunt, because literally it's just, ask for the peace of Jerusalem. Ask for it. This is no kind of like fairy, you know, pretty prayers. This is just, ask for the peace of Jerusalem. And the psalmist knows that this prayer is vital for the future of the city and his people. And we know there will always be opposition to this prayer. There will always be somebody who resents the well-being of God's people, who will attack it and mock it. God's people, we are promised, will always be under attack, one way or another. And the psalm ends back reminding us of the house of the Lord in verse 9. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. The house of the Lord, the temple, the focus of worship is the beginning and end of this hymn and this prayer. It symbolized the presence of God among the people. And it's where God's people came to worship, united in their worship. It's the place where Ezekiel, at the end of his prophecy of the restored city, said, And the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. This is what the psalmist is celebrating and looking for. The peace of the Lord to be there. And that echoes Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer when he said that all, prayed for all his followers to be united. And this prayer they prayed every year on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The psalms, these 15 psalms, were recited going up to that Feast of Tabernacles. And we've been looking in Lent about unanswered prayers. And was that prayer for peace answered? If we look to our reading from Luke, as I said, Jesus has just entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and that will be the subject of our service next week, what we now call the triumphant entry and of the peace of the city. Jesus says, you missed it. You missed it. Verses 41 and 42 again. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. If you had only known what would bring you peace. And they missed it. They missed that the answer to that centuries-long prayer that had been part of the pilgrimage and praise of God's people was Jesus. They failed to see 
that the peace they yearn for, the peace the psalmist urges them to pray for, the peace the pilgrims journeyed for, was to be found in Jesus. The Jewish authorities thought he was divisive and dangerous. But in him was the shalom peace they all needed. The point is this. They missed their pilgrimage because they thought it was a journey to a place and not a person. For many today, Jesus remains a divisive and dangerous person. But in him, even today, especially today, in him it is still the only way to find true peace. So many people miss it. They look for peace in all sorts of places. They see pilgrimage as the sort of self-discovery journey envisaged by the BBC. But peace comes not from within us, but from God's Spirit when we submit to him and when his Spirit indwells us. Don't miss it. Don't let us miss it. We are all on a spiritual journey but it's not a journey for the sake of spirituality or self-discovery. The yearning that every human being has, that I believe every human being has, the yearning for peace, real inner peace, can only be satisfied when a person finds their destination in Jesus Christ. He is the one. He is the one who allows us to stand before a holy God, who is the judge. But in Christ we stand, saved and forgiven. Don't, don't miss it. And if you want to talk about that with me or anybody, if you're going through struggles and you share that psalm of distress that the first of the songs of ascents references, do please find uh, me or one of the deacons we would be delighted to pray with you and speak with you. So this psalm speaks to us today of focusing our priorities. The worldwide body of believers is where the worship of God dwells. We are not limited by geographical boundaries or a particular building. We are called and bound together to worship together. We are bound together as the body of Christ ourselves. We pray for the same kind of peace in the church that the psalmist celebrated in the security and harmony of the tribes that were worshipping together in the temple. And I pray, we pray for those who are lost, for those who haven't yet found that peace in Christ. We pray that they will journey to him. Jesus, draw me ever nearer is what we have sung and we pray that for those who we love and know, and those in our local community, to find that peace. We all need to find our peace and our destination in Christ. Let us pray. Living God, 
Enable us this day to be pilgrims and companions. Committed to the way of Christ. Faithful to the call of Christ. Discerning the mind of Christ. Offering the welcome of Christ. Growing in the likeness of Christ. Engaging in the mission of Christ in the world that belongs to Christ. Amen. Now I've spoken a little about the unity and the harmony among the believers as they worship together. And some of you may recall, uh, if you were part of the fellowship there, that when we started lockdown, we read through John's gospel together apart but together. So we started, I think, the day, the day after lockdown started and read a chapter each day um, that took us to Easter. And uh, it was just nice to go, well, I'm reading chapter three today, and I know that people in the fellowship are reading chapter three today, even if we were stuck at home doing it on our own. And uh, we can do that with these songs of a sense. If we read the first one today, and one every day, we will all finish reading them on Easter Sunday. Now, some of them are only three verses long, so you, you, know, you will have time to think about it and let it sink into you. So I would encourage you, because the Psalms are just brilliant, um, and I hope you found that over this last series. But they teach us how to pray. They give us the vocabulary. They've been the vocabulary of prayer and of relationship with God through the centuries. And I would urge you, although we're now going to move on to different things on a Sunday morning, I would urge you to continue reflecting on the Psalms and letting their language sink into your heart. They are, after all, God's word, and they're how he has let, led his people in prayer, and they have led us in prayer through them being recorded in God's word through the centuries. Now, our final...